Deer plugged in. You in on this? Toyota's versatile SUVs roll up their sleeves and take on tough jobs, dress up for a night out, or haul your family and friends with their spacious interiors. And they're available with some real sweet tech. Want a hybrid SUV? Oh yeah, they got those too. All with a slew of standard features so you won't break the bank. Get the juice at toyota.com, folks. Visit your front range Toyota stores today. Toyota, let's go places. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it! Oh, McKinley Wright. Hey guys, uh, welcome in to the BSN Buffs podcast. I'm your host, Henry Chisholm. Um, I'm excited to talk more about the Arizona State game today because that was an incredible win, uh, huge for the Buffs going forward. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about why exactly that is in just a couple seconds, but before we jump into that, I want to tell you about the delicious certified gluten-free breads, bagels, English muffins, and other baked goods that are made right here in Johnstown, Colorado. Canyon Bakehouse's gluten, dairy, nut, and soy-free products make it easy for families to enjoy the taste and texture of fresh bread so everyone can love bread again. Find them at any major grocery store in the freezer or fresh bread aisle, or you can purchase online. And if you visit canyonglutenfree.com, you can grab a coupon. All right. Uh, yeah, I mean, today I mostly just want to keep going with the Arizona State talk. Um, huge win, massive win. Uh, so exciting for a number of reasons. Um, before we dive into that, let's talk about this week, bye week. Um, I don't have anything new for you guys today because there's no media availability today. Uh, because of the bye week, the media availability schedule is all shifted back a day. So usually it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We're up in Boulder talking to everybody before it goes quiet up until the post game. Uh, this week, I'll be up in Boulder Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And I will be pulling in information from whoever is available to talk to me on those days. So no insights based on talking to other people just the insights that have come from my own brain over the last couple of days um 
again, this is massive. This is such a huge win. Three and one going into the bye week. Uh, let's jump back to a storyline that I brought up uh, partially through last week, which was Brendan Rice, the son of Jerry Rice, actually a potential buffs receiver. He goes to high school in Arizona. He's being recruited by Michigan. He's being recruited by Arizona State, Colorado, uh, Oregon. Obviously, the big ones there, Arizona State, Colorado. I mentioned last week that he was going to be at the game on Saturday. So it's pretty cool that he saw the the Buffs win that football game. Like I said last week, we don't really dive too deep into recruiting here, but this is one storyline that gives us like a taste of the recruiting thing just because it's, it is kind of exciting stuff and it's kind of just the one storyline that we've bought into here. Uh, on the BSN Buffs podcast presented by Canyon Bakehouse. I say that because I'm pretty sure I forgot to say Canyon Bakehouse earlier. Okay, here's the point, though. Brendan is obviously a very good receiver. Uh, That's why we care. Uh, It looked like he was going to Michigan um, based on a whole bunch of different things. Uh, One of my favorite tools, the 24-7 sports crystal ball projection thing. Um easy way to kind of see where a guy is leaning because they have their experts all make their picks where he's going. It was something like 90 something percent chance he was going to Michigan. And then Brendan goes to the Nebraska Colorado game and it drops down to like 60 something with Colorado getting some stuff. Now it's down to Michigan 50% Colorado, 29% and 21% of their experts are unsure. So that is exciting stuff. Uh, That's the value of winning football games. You pull in recruits, and you know, we've talked, I think it was Silverbuff who said, I'd almost rather they just win four games instead of five games if that's the way the season is going, just because I don't want to have to deal with the pain of just barely missing a bowl appearance, which makes sense. Uh, cheer for your own emotions. At the end of the day, that's really what being a sports fan is. It's like enjoying or not enjoying watching sports. And so if that makes it easier for you to enjoy sports, it's less painful, whatever. Got to factor that in. But in terms of the buffs going forward, every win is so huge. It's one more chance for the program to prove that Mel Tucker really is the future. Um, that he will turn this into a powerhouse. I love that word. I was scared to say it, but I mean, that's what we're looking at. If Mel Tucker lives up to the hype, five years from now we're saying, okay, Colorado, how are they making their run to the Pac-12 title, all this kind of stuff. That's what you're looking at. That's what the goal is. I mean, there's a lot of things that have to go right, obviously. And then when they do all go right, you have to pony up a little bit of cash to keep Mel Tucker in Boulder instead of jumping ship to the SEC or wherever he wants to go. You know, he grew up in Ohio. Maybe he wants to head closer to his family. That's all a long days, ways down the road. We don't have to worry about them being a powerhouse right now. But every win is another step in the right direction for a whole bunch of reasons, but the one we're talking about right now helps with recruiting. These are all games where these high school kids are on the sidelines watching, and when you see a team pull out two tight wins like Brendan Rice did, can't hurt, really can't hurt. We're expecting his decision. I think this morning he tweeted something like, wow, this is getting real two weeks away from having to make a decision. So we're going to keep following along because... It's exciting. Um, I, I I don't think it's too exciting to follow whatever 50 kids that 
Colorado offers or pursues or has some interest in, that's just a bit much. But buying into one storyline, like Brendan Rice, is a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, Brendan Rice watch. That's that's what's new there. Uh, just one of the many, many reasons that that win over Arizona State is massive, is the, is a program-defining win. And I'm not trying to overhype this. I know I came in, somebody actually tweeted at me and said like, huh, how'd you stay so calm in that post-game podcast? And I made a joke, but the real answer was, well, it was one in the, can't swear, one, one in the morning when I was recording it. And so that makes it a little bit easier to keep the energy low, uh, just pounding a Red Bull, trying to stay awake. Um, the hype, though, is real. That is such a massive win. And we really can't can't overstate it. You know, that's probably not a game they're supposed to win. That's not a game... I, th- I, th- I think I did flip my prediction at the last second. But going into that week, no. That was not a game I thought that Colorado was going to win. Nationally, not many people thought Colorado was going to win. Um, it's It's too bad that that's the case, that that's the state of Colorado football. But you have to start winning games like this before teams pick you. Here's a stat that is pretty wild. And if you're a BSM subscriber, then you saw it in the story I posted at 2.30 in the morning uh, after the win. And if you're not a BSN subscriber, but you have the internet, then you also probably know this. Uh, but that was the first time Colorado beat a ranked opponent on the road since... Okay, I'm, I'm pausing here so that you can think for a second about how... Gain some perspective. You know, how, how often does that happen? 29, 29 attempts they've had to win a ranked against a ranked opponent on the road without doing it. That was 2002, the last time that happened. There have been some good buffs teams since then. It hasn't all been bad. I mean, you think of the rise. Surprising that at no point they beat a ranked team on the road. You know, they've had 29 attempts and they haven't been able to do it. Uh, I'm ruining this story, but it got a lot of clicks, so I guess we it served its purpose. Um, but at Michigan, Jim Harbaugh, always have to pause for a second to make sure you get Jim or John right. Jim Harbaugh has one win on the road against a ranked opponent. At Michigan, Jim Harbaugh, and we know how he's respected. None of the last three coaches at Colorado could do it. Uh, it's... It's huge uh, because that's a game that you can kind of just honestly write off, or at least up until now, you probably should have just written it off as something that a Colorado football program cannot do. You cannot beat teams on the road that are better than you and major problem. And that's not something I would have said before because you guys would all turn on me. I've heard, uh, but it's the truth. It's not something that this t- program has been capable of for a long time. Under Mel Tucker, why not? And the way he did it is what's so impressive. And I'm not talking about wearing shorts, although so sick that uh, he he did wear shorts. Uh, do you guys have takes on that? Do you guys have, like, is anybody out there thinking, like, why are you wearing shorts? Why, why would a coach, you're not supposed to wear shorts on the sideline. 
I think every take I've seen has been positive, both locally and nationally. People have been saying like, oh, wow, that's a power move. Wearing shorts on the sideline. Uh, the Buffs Twitter account tweeted out a clip of him. Like, I, they, I think they cut out the part where people were roasting him for wearing shorts, like on the field pregame before. But then it would show him saying like, ah, you know, feel good coach good, which... Sure. Why not? Why not just wear shorts? There's no rule against it. It's just not a thing that people do. Um, back to the point, though. Does anybody not like it? Did anybody see that and think like, ah, oh, don't do that. Classless, whatever. Um, be interested to hear your take. Uh, comment. If you comment, then I will read it uh, Tuesday, tomorrow. And you'll probably get roasted because it was really cool what Mel Tucker did. And then he won. Not what I'm talking about, though. What I'm talking about is doing it through the adversity. You know, football coaches love that word. Not sure if you've noticed, but adversity. Um, what's another one? They like, uh, they say next man up a lot. Uh, resilience. Um, a lot of them say resiliency, which, whatever. But um, the point is, these are all words that get thrown around. These are what you want a football team to be, and when you say it, Everybody just thinks, well, duh, that you want a resilient football team. You want resilient anything because resilience is a good thing. Um, but there's a difference between saying it and showing it. You know, just repeating that word a lot isn't going to make your team actually that. And you see a lot of not resilient football teams where the coach says, oh, this is a resilient. This weird tangent. Mel Tucker's football team is actually resilient. Um an overused word that actually fits here, which is something, I guess. But the point is, there were so many injuries in this football game. I mean, you guys saw them all. LaVisca Chenault, uh, who... I didn't make a list. Actually, I did in that story, but I don't have that pulled up. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, Mustafa Johnson, they were both pulled out of the game. They didn't come back. Interestingly, they both wore the zip-up hoodies with no shirts underneath. Uh, not something I could pull off. Uh, if I had to make my pick, I would say LaVisca pulled it off better than Mustafa. But strange still to me that they thought that that's how you wear that. I guess it's hot there. Um, must have been like a team rule. Like you can't just be out there in a Buffs t-shirt. It has to be this Buffs. can't remember if it was like a quarter zip, half something like that. Sweatshirt. Um, I think it was a hoodie actually doesn't matter but that's what they were wearing because they were not on the football field playing football like you would like your two best players potentially to be doing they were out for most of the game um both the running backs jaron mangum missed a couple snaps uh rotated back in didn't seem like he was getting as much run late uh alex Fontenot came off the field limping again missed a couple snaps went back out there like there were these little these small injuries don't feel like they should change much. Um, Delrick Abrams, he somehow came back after what looked like an incredibly painful injury. Uh, we were saying broken collarbone because of the way that he held his collarbone. But it turns out it was not that because he was back on the field playing football again later. And it's easy to say, like, oh, the bus didn't lose that much because he only missed a quarter of the football game. Like, that's only a quarter of missing him. But you have to remember, somebody has to step up for every single one of those snaps that he misses. That person is KJ Trujillo. Not a guy who, 
I'm, and I don't mean this as a slight to KJ Trujillo, but not a guy who should be on that football field. Pac-12 conference football game, competitive game. No, he, he shouldn't be out there. Give him some run at special teams so that the moment isn't too big for him next year. But, you know, he is, he's 18. He isn't quite ready for this. He hasn't been conditioned for this. You know, he honestly just straight up should not be playing in these football games if things are going to according to plan. Instead, with Delrick Abrams out, with Chris Miller missing time, uh, was that right? Yes, Chris Miller missed time. Makai Blackman got called for the targeting, but they didn't end up calling targeting. Thank goodness, otherwise he would have been out. Could you imagine down three corners what this team would have looked like? I say that, and then I think maybe kind of similar just because they were letting receivers run free, but I don't like that thought. Maybe we'll come back to it later. Um, The point is, KJ Trujillo had to play football. He had to play whatever, 15 snaps, 20 snaps, 25 snaps. Um, I don't have the snap count book yet, so I can't give you exact numbers. Don't know when that's coming. Probably tomorrow when we go up to Boulder. But uh, we don't know the exact number, but every one of those plays is a play that he could have screwed up all by himself. He could have blown a tackle and let somebody run free. He could have blown a coverage and let somebody run free. Every one of those snaps... And I haven't had a chance to actually go back and watch this game yet. Uh, Sundays are for NFL football. Mondays are for rewatching football games. Um, he 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 didn't blow enough at least to cost them the game. He had to step up for all those snaps, and he's not getting the practice reps. Obviously, you know your top guys are getting most of the reps. They're getting most of the looks at the scout team that's set up. You know it's it's very hard to step into a game. And we were talking with Casey Roddick about this last week. What's it like when you just have to jump into the fire when you haven't been playing in the third quarter? Casey Roddick subbed subbed in at guard uh, in the Air Force game. What's what's that like? That's got to be tough, right? To, to just all of a sudden be thrown into the fire? He said, yes. Yes, it is. Everybody else has gotten used to this game. Everybody else was getting the practice reps. That's what KJ Trujillo was dealing with. He did not blow this football game for the buffs like he probably could have. Um, okay, got to uncoil this a little bit. This has been a lot. But there were so many guys who were in that exact same position who did enough to keep the buffs in the game when they had to, when they had to step up. You know, the point is, even though not all these guys miss the entire game, every snap they miss puts the buffs in a really tough spot because these are guys who probably aren't supposed to be seeing the football field, who are seeing the football field. Janaz Jordan makes his debut uh, this season. Uh, who's... Uh, Callier, Jacob Callier, makes his f- debut this season. That's really tough to do because, I mean, it's not like these guys are sitting on the sideline hyping themselves up saying, okay, 20 minutes until it's time for me to jump in the game. No, they're standing back there hoping somebody calls their number and they get a chance to go play football because that's what they're here to do. That's what they want to be doing. When all of a sudden, Mustafa Johnson grabs his, uh, what was it? He was leg, he was that ankle, uh, and needs help off the field. And then, boom, you're in the game. It's uh, it's a lot. That's really tough to do. Um, 
like I said, if, if I didn't say this, I probably should have said this. We don't have any injury updates right now. I wish we did. Uh, I was talking to my mom earlier and she was concerned. Um, that's the first question she asked me, not like, what's up, you know? Uh, but the, the point is we don't have any update on these guys yet. Hopefully we'll get some sort of update tomorrow. Uh, usually they have an injury report. We get these packets that are honestly a little bit excessive. They're, they're like 40 pages. They have like the depth chart. They have a bunch of fun facts, things that could be broken, records that were broken, just some like random 25 years ago to this day, this happened, this, all this kind of stuff, a bunch of information. Um, one of the things that's in there is the injury report, you know, who's, I don't can't remember if they give us, I don't think they give us participation reports, but they do say he's out questionable, uh, four to six weeks, uh, day to day, whatever it could be. And a brief description of the injury. Since it's a bye week usually those are given out Tuesday at the press conference. So that it'll say like Colorado versus Arizona state on the front. And it'll give you all the notes you need for that game. I'm not sure if we'll get one of those for a bye week because there isn't a game on Saturday in case you hadn't heard, uh, breaking news here, no game Saturday, but there is a chance that maybe they'll just give us one anyway. So we can know if not ask hope point is hopefully tomorrow's podcast, Tuesday's episode, I will have an update and hopefully that update isn't the buffs don't want to tell us, although there is that possibility. So prepare yourselves for that as well. Um, whoa, boy, probably time now to not take a second to acknowledge, but chat about Breckenridge Brewery because they support us. They made my weekend really fun when it probably would have only been pretty fun. Um, went to the BSM Broncos watch party yesterday at the Ice House. Uh, that was pretty pretty awesome other than the Broncos losing. Um, luckily, we kind of prepared ourselves for that possibility. So it wasn't you know, heart-wrenching to see Aaron Rodgers beat them because they are not what they should be. Uh, drank. I don't, actually, I didn't have any beer there. Had some beers after, though, when we were getting ready to head over to the Avalanche preseason game. If you haven't caught any preseason hockey, I'd wait till the regular season. Still fun. Went to a shootout. I was, you know, buzzed a little bit because of the Breckenridge beers. And that's what makes preseason hockey a lot more fun getting super into the fights because I've had a couple Breckenridge beers. If you guys haven't had the Colorado core yet, I highly recommend that Andre calls it the champagne of beers, which it isn't. That's Miller light, but they probably, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to be like ripping on other beers, just drink Breckenridge beers, uh, because they're good. Try Colorado core, try strawberry sky, try the avalanche is also just like a classic. Like if you're going to go grab a Coors Coors light, just get an avalanche instead and you'll be a lot happier after um naming a lot of different beers to for this to be an ad for breckenridge brewery we love breckenridge brewery gonna have a couple more tonight thinking about going over to that black keys concert in a couple hours and if i do you know i'll be drinking some breck brews made a little rhyme okay back to football uh actually one more plug the breckenridge event calendar you guys have heard about it. Tells you about all the fun things we're doing. Even though there's no tailgate in Boulder on Saturday because there is no football game in Boulder on Saturday, there will be a tailgate outside the Broncos game on Sunday. Uh, BSN is partnering with Sons of Mile High, 
which has run the best tailgate uh, I've heard. I actually haven't been to it at Mile High before the games. Um, and now it's BSN and Sons of Mile High. So I'll be there with my parents and I think RK and Zach and maybe Mace. And I don't really know who else will be there, but it's going to be fun. Uh, if you're going to the Bronco game, come swing by, talk some buffs because not really the time to be talking Broncos, to be honest. End of the plugs for now. Probably more later. Okay, back to football. So, these aren't really notes because we don't have any real notes. We weren't in Boulder given notes. But yesterday, yes, yesterday, Mikhail Onu, who missed some time uh, in the game with, I don't know if we ever told what sort of injury it was. You could probably go back and look. Uh, we'll find out tomorrow, hopefully, what exactly it was. But he tweeted that he's going to get healthy and come back like better than he was, which makes you think I hadn't heard anything, but there must have been some sort of lingering injury, which if that's true, that there was one and he felt like it was holding him back, good to hear that he's... I mean, I mean, it's weird to say it's good. It's good to hear that that was happening to him because you don't want him to be hurt, obviously. But it is good in that it means he wasn't playing at 100%, and going forward, he might be, which is exciting because he has been a monster for this defense. I think that that was all I really wanted to say. Uh, Buffs volleyball. I think they call it the Colorado Classic. They bring a bunch of teams in. UMBC. Uh, I can't remember what the other was. Campbell was the other one. Buffs won that. Uh, Colorado's soccer team beat DU in Denver 2-zip. I already told you guys they beat Northern Colorado on Thursday. So it was a really good weekend for the Buffs, and it's important that we continue to talk about these other teams because there's a lot of good stuff happening in the Buffs athletic department that isn't just football, including basketball practice starting on Friday. Four days from today, uh there is basketball so that's cool okay um that's it for the newsy stuff around boulder but i do want to talk a little bit about what happened around the pac-12 because there were some noteworthy results and we're going to talk through those real quick and then get into the rankings which were released yesterday and the Buffs didn't fare quite as well as I had thought they would. I didn't think they'd be a ranked team, but they got much less respect than I feel they deserve. Okay, Pac-12 results. Friday night, USC beats Utah. Huge game. Did we talk about that? I don't think we did talk about that. No, we wouldn't have had a chance to. That was Friday night. Um, That reshapes the Pac-12 South. Utah was supposed to be the, the best team in the South, I still think that they probably are, but the fact that they can lose to USC means that they are not untouchable. Utah went into the game ranked 10th. Uh, they fall in the rankings, obviously. Get to that part later. But what we really take away, I think more than Utah being not that good, is that USC actually is that good. They just have so much talent. So much talent at receiver it starts with Michael Pittman, who had, uh, I should really have these stats pulled up before I want to talk about them, 
he had struggles of the solo pod is that I can't just throw it to somebody else. So I pull it up. There we go. 10 receptions, 232 yards and a touchdown. It was incredible. He had the 77 yard touchdown, which was underthrown, but it doesn't matter because Michael Pittman is a big receiver. You just throw it up. He'll jump up. He'll make the catch. He'll brush off the tackle. He'll run downfield. Does that remind you of anyone? Uh, one thing that I really took away from this game is that with a big receiver like Michael Pittman or like LaVisca Chenault, you don't have to throw that ball perfectly. You know, I love KD. I love KD Nixon's game. You send him downfield, he'll get a step, you drop the ball in the breadbasket, he'll catch it, he'll run, it'll be a touchdown. That's the type of player he is. He's electric. With LaVisca Chenault, you have more margin for error just because he is so big, because he does win the jump balls. Watching this game, I really realized, you know, in case you guys didn't see it, uh, Keaton Slovis, uh, the true freshman who stepped in for JT Daniels when JT Daniels got hurt in the first game of the season, out for the year. Uh, true freshman looked really good, got hurt after completing his first two passes on Friday, and then uh, Matt Fink stepped in for him, the junior, finally getting a chance. Cool story. We don't care because this is a Buffs podcast, though. He plays most of the game, looks pretty good, throws for 350 yards, completes more than two-thirds of his passes, three touchdowns, interception, but he wasn't placing the ball perfectly. He was just giving his receivers a chance, especially Michael Pittman, because Michael Pittman, uh, like we've mentioned, is huge. He's 6'4", 220. A little bit bigger than LaVisca. I mean, LaVisca's 6'2", 225. Michael Pittman may be light about his height. Very big guy, though. That's the point. Throw the ball up. Do the same thing with LaVisca. You don't have to throw this perfectly in stride. If you can do that, that's awesome. But err on the side of an underthrow so that he can come back and get the ball because he is that talented of a receiver and he is that big that that kind of is his strength. Um, That was my Buffs-related takeaway. Also, USC is for real. They have a bunch of talent. Uh, We know that. They just haven't been using it right. Um, Even with these second, third-string quarterbacks... They're winning football games. Winning football games against really good teams. They, they're right up there with Utah in terms of the best team in the South, in my opinion. And then I think it's Colorado behind them because Colorado beat Arizona State, um, in case you hadn't heard. Uh, not going to go over that game because we have talked about that at length. Cal beats Ole Miss. Big win for the Pac-12. Big win for Cal. I mean... They should have won probably. I mean, that kind of feels like a stretch. But, I mean, they're ranked. Sure, they're on the road at an SEC team. Voters think they're better. Cal goes up pretty big early. Um, but let's Ole Miss come back. Uh, 28-20. Looked like Cal was in control. But then it kind of got a little iffy there late. Cal wins. That's the point. Washington beat BYU bad. Uh, talking to Dre yesterday at the watch party, he said, you know, BYU is kind of just a Pac-12 team at this point with the way they're just playing everybody in the conference. And it does thin out like they're done playing Pac-12 teams going forward, I think. But three of their four games against Pac-12 teams. And it's interesting because this early in the season, it's tough to compare Pac-12 teams because they aren't playing each other. They're all playing different opponents. BYU has given a couple of teams common opponents um so you can kind of see how does one team look against this team and then the next team look against this team 
once you get in the Pac-12 play, you get to see them play each other, which is a lot more valuable, but it's kind of an interesting storyline. Utah beats BYU 30-12. BYU beats USC 30-27 in overtime. Washington beats BYU 45-19. They were just in control that entire game. What you really take away is that BYU probably shouldn't have beaten USC, but seeing Washington beat BYU that badly makes you think, yeah, they probably should still be in that conversation for best team in the conference, even though they did drop that game to Cal. Um, yeah, I think that's enough of that talk. Oregon beats Stanford 21-6. Turns out Oregon is good and Stanford is bad, as we had kind of started to assume. Um, knew the Oregon thing a little bit earlier. If they'd beaten Auburn, who knows where they stand. Uh, yeah, I feel like that's good. 21-6 they won. Good, solid win from a team that probably should have beaten the other team. Um, moving on to the final game, the game that actually finished after the Buffs-Arizona State game, which is wild to me because that was a late night UCLA comes back to beat Washington State. This is the game that really threw the Pac-12 on its head. Sure, USC beating Utah, that's a surprise. That's not what you expected, even in the Coliseum. But Washington State had a legitimate claim to being the best team in this conference. You'd say that, and you'd probably get a little bit of pushback, but I think that that's a take you could have had. UCLA, you could have said, was the worst team in the conference. Probably get some pushback. Probably get some people saying, Oregon State, though. But, you know, they are in that conversation. Uh, Washington State had a 32-point lead in the third quarter. Uh, UCLA comes back, beats them 67-63. Aaron Gordon, Washington State's quarterback, throws nine touchdowns. We kind of talked about this at the time, so we won't get too deep into it. When I was doing the post-game pod, I was listening to or watching this game at the same time. Um, always good to split your attention when you're working. But point is, Washington State might not be all it's cracked up to be. UCLA might not be quite as bad as they're cracked up to be. I still think that this is just a weird thing that happens super late at night. Um, Washington State just kind of fell apart. It's good to know that they have that in them. I don't think we see them fall apart all that often going forward. But maybe this is a little bit streakier team than we might have realized. And that could be something that holds them back. UCLA finally shows that explosion. Washington State defense, meh. So, yeah. Both of these teams just kind of pushed each other toward the middle, obviously. The middle of the Pac-12 power rankings, if that's what we're calling it. Which... uh, was kind of the theme this week. So it's competitive. The Pac-12 is going to be competitive. It might not be good. It might not be the strongest Power 5 conference out there, but it will be competitive, and that's something that I'm pretty confident in. Uh, Time now to jump over to see how the voters reacted to everything that went down in college football this week because for some reason I still care about their opinions. Um, five teams are in the pack twelve or in the AP top twenty-five. Uh, down from six last week. You know these Pac-12 haters. They probably didn't like seeing that. Sure, five of them were like the bottom five or something like that. Pac-12 isn't that bad though. They just don't have that one team that is going to be competing for the college football playoff. 
Most likely. You never know what's going to happen. But here are those teams. Oregon came in 13th. Cal came in 15th. Washington came in 17th. Utah came in 19th. USC came in 21st. So basically, 13 through 21, it's Pac-12, not Pac-12, Pac-12, not Pac-12, because there's all the odd numbers through there, which is kind of interesting, doesn't really matter. Um, Oregon, Cal, Washington, Utah, USC. And then if you like extend past the top 25 and just go by like who got the most votes from there on out, uh, Washington State is 33rd. They were they were ranked last week. They were the sixth team that like dropped out because of that loss to, Ca- or to UCLA. Um, dropped to 33 and then tied at 37th Arizona State and Colorado lots of people upset about this again in case you aren't familiar with the internet uh, that's kind of what's going on there Arizona State obviously lost to Colorado and is now tied with Colorado in the poll uh yeah i mean it's easy to say that they should probably be ahead of them because they won but also colorado lost to air force which doesn't look good and you know air force actually did look pretty good they were in that game against boise state they looked like they could beat boise state a ranked boise state team until their quarterback got hurt and i think the final score is like 30 to 19 which again not like they got blown out by that ranked team they hung in there. Uh, that loss is going to haunt Colorado throughout the season for a number of reasons. Uh, obviously, we're starting here with the rankings. The voters don't really know all that much about Air Force because Air Force doesn't show up in the rankings all that much. They're a gimmicky offense, but they're a good football team. And they will catch teams off guard all year. And I guess now they're in conference play. They're actually going to just be the better team more weeks than not. So that hurts. But also just having that one loss for Colorado that they shouldn't have. I mean, could you imagine right now if they're 4-0 going into this bye week? What is the Mel Tucker hype looking like? He's already getting the national attention, mostly for wearing shorts, but also because this is a really good Colorado football team. When Steven Montez is on, when the defense is pulling turnovers, they are so close. They're so close to being a team that you could say, you know what? They could compete with any team in the country not ranked inside the top 10. I think I think that they are just about that point. What you need is Steven Montez to play like he did this week every single week from here on out. And that's something he should be capable of because we saw him do that last week, and that should be replicable. Uh, you need the defense to figure something out. Don't need him to play perfectly because this offense is incredible. The offense can keep you in games. You just need to you just need to make a couple of plays, whether that's interceptions, whether that's sacks, It'd be nice if they could just stop letting people run free across the middle constantly. Um, it's like, it's, honestly, it looks like they have 10 guys out there. Like, it looks like whoever's supposed to be defending the middle of the field just, I don't even know, just is sitting picking grass or something because it's just wide open. Uh, it's frustrating. Honestly, I don't think that needs to be fixed. If you get the pass rush going, that will do enough if Steven Montez is what he was last week if you get a couple of interceptions a couple of uh, forced fumbles fumble recoveries every game that's enough 
you'd like for this to become a dominant defense and fix all of those things, the pass rush and the coverage, and be breaking, like, getting big plays, the turnovers. Turnovers is the word I'm looking for. How do, how do I want to phrase this? We're kind of wound up here. Uh, three things that the defense needs to improve. More turnovers, which I know they forced quite a few, but this week they looked a little slower in that regard, and it wasn't until they got one that they started to kind of pull away. Even that, they blew the first one. You guys watch the game. You guys know. Need more turnovers. You need more pressure, or you need more consistent coverage. You get one of those three things, and this defense is in good shape going forward. Good enough shape. Good enough shape to win games with the offense if the offense is clicking. Steven Montez playing like this, that's just non-negotiable. You need that. And then if you get one of the other three on the defensive side of the ball, this team is going to be in good shape. You get two of those three, and all of a sudden, is this a Pac-12 contender? Maybe. Get all three, obviously that's going to be tough to do based on what we've seen. But then, you know, this this team is close. Just have a couple things to iron out. Um, and they have a bye week to do it. So you just have to hope that they figure out what is the problem, what is causing the issues they're having, and then they come back from that and look ready to go. I'm really high on this team still. Uh, there isn't a team in the Pac-12 that I'm willing to just say, nope, that's a loss. You know, playing at Oregon, it's their, they play, I mean, bye week, home against Arizona at Oregon. That game at Oregon, that's going to be a really tough one to win. But I still am not ready to just say, like, nope, they can't do it. You just need them to be clicking in a lot of phases of the football game. (sighs) Okay, Um, that's a lot of takes I just rattled off. So in case you guys... Starbucks gave me a coffee that was too big this morning. Um, And that's what this all has been just because you deserve to know that okay uh, you guys have to head to infinity park the weekend of october 5th and 6th to check out the international women's rugby sevens event the world wine and spirits festival and eat delicious international food while listening to incredible bands infinity park is the only u.s stop for this rugby series and teams from around the world are participating, including the USA, New Zealand, Canada, Japan, England, Ireland, Russia, Brazil, France, Fiji, Australia, and Spain. That's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. That's 12 different countries are going to be playing rugby uh, in Denver. So that's pretty cool. Uh, this series is crucial for athletes as they prepare for the 2020 Olympics. Uh, rugby is a physically demanding game of speed, endurance, and intensity with some of the world's most talented athletes. If you're a sports fan of any kind, you will be blown away and highly entertained watching these women compete. What is even better is you will be able to enjoy this event with the entire family at an incredible price. Adult passes are only $20 and you can receive another $5 off when you use code BSN5. Uh, Kids 12 and under are $10, and 3 and under are free. So that's a good deal. Um, That's for the entire weekend, by the way. Uh, You can also try 50 varieties 
of wines and spirits on Saturday between 1 and 5 p.m. with a $50 festival pass. Um, seems like a good de- deal. That's a lot of different wines and spirits for $50. And that also gets you into the rugby games. So that's pretty cool. Uh, enjoy delicious food from around the world. Visit Infinity Park at Glendale.com for all your information. And you can grab tickets. That's Infinity Park at Glendale.com. Okay. Uh, into the final segment, which, as always, is reserved for you guys to share your opinions, to throw questions at me, and sometimes I have answers. On good days, I have answers. Um, and I got logged out of the BSN app. Oh, and that's not my account. That's an account I set up for somebody else, and it's not auto-loading. Okay, we're going we're gonna to pause this for a second while I figure out how to log into the website. Okay, uh, that was actually like a 30-second break, but you guys didn't have to listen to it, which is pretty cool. Probably should cut out what I said before, but we already referenced it, so I can't. Um, Sunny Rain. Sa- oh, wait, we start at the bottom. That's right. Um, okay, Silver Buff says, this is what Stevie Montez does. Gets called out by mediocre performance, then goes off the next week. That's something that I have heard a lot. You know, even even this week before the game, people were just saying like, oh, no, Steven Montez is going off this week. And you're like, well, you can't just say that. The, the Arizona State defense has given up seven points per game. They gave up seven points last week to Michigan State. And uh, they everybody who... Uh, no, literally everybody was right. Steven Montez did the thing that everybody said that he would do because that's what he always does. That is confusing to me. Very confusing. I uh, Maybe I should just ask him about it. I wonder if he's going to be available at some point this week. Um, because that's a strange phenomena. How do you just hear... Uh, what is it? What What is it? How does he come back? Maybe it's a co- it has to be a coincidence, right? Because how could you just hear people say like, oh, that was a bad game, and then be like, oh good point i should have a good game like like, is that how that works is is he spending more time in the film room to come back from it i don't know i i actually do kind of want to see if i can talk to him about that because that'd be kind of interesting because it's weird okay the rest of silver buff's comment uh mac never beat a higher ranked team mel is two for two great fact right there um yes that is true uh, interestingly, both teams were ranked 24, and CU wins both 34-31 with the Stefano field goal. Coincidence. So now we know if the Buffs want to win a football game, you just have to be playing a ranked team, well, team ranked number 24, and it has to be 31-31, and you have to have the ball at the end of the game. And also, it only counts this year before Stefano's uh, eligibility runs out. Okay. Silverbuff responded to that, adding to that last part, Brendan Rice was also at both games. A lot of similarities. Love the Brendan Rice talk. Uh, big fan of that storyline, which we will continue to follow. Um, definitely should be keeping Brendan Rice around if that's an option, because they win when that happens. Uh, Drew Creaseman, the Rockies beat writer, who was also at the watch party yesterday, uh, which was a lot of fun. He always has great football takes. I wish he had shared one, but instead he just said, spooky. I don't know why Drew is in the comments of my podcast. Pretty cool, though. 
BSN is pretty cool. Okay. Uh, B Mixer said, still think ASU is overrated. ASU had a great defense because they played nobody with an offense. Michigan State is another way overrated Big Ten team and has not had an offense since Le'Veon Bell was there. CU's defense is a or oh, CU defense lacks talent and depth. Johnson is the best pass rusher and he was out early. You are right about no pass rush. Honestly, I'm happy if CU keeps people under 30 this year. I do not think it is going to dramatically improve till better talent is on campus. Um, a lot of takes I like there. Uh, ASU being overrated. I don't know about that. You know what? Yes. I, I would say they were definitely overrated. They were getting AP votes. I think that they were getting votes based on them at their peak at the very best that they can be as a football team this season. And we just aren't going to see that all that much because they're young. You know, this is, it's very similar to the Buffs volleyball program where they're going to have games where you say, Oh wow, how are you not going to win the PAC 12? Look at all this talent. Look at what all these different kids can do. This looks like the best team or at least one of the best teams in the PAC 12, but they will also have games where I think I've used this phrase a lot, actually, where the inexperience outweighs the talent. And that's what ASU is. Like, it's not that they are a 7 out of 10 football team. It's that they're either 9.5 out of 10 or they're a 3 out of 10. And that might not even be a game-to-game thing. It might just be a quarter-to-quarter, series-to-series type thing. They should not be ranked. They should not have been ranked. But they had been flashing that high ceiling that they have so much that you wondered if they were going to be that team 90% of the time instead of the 60% of the time that you probably expect. Um, Saying they're overrated might be oversimplifying things a little bit, but yeah, they were overrated. They're still a lot of fun to watch, though, and I'm going to keep tuning in to Jaden Daniels because he is going to be a thing for a while. Um, It's probably enough... An analysis of B Mixer's comment. Definitely need the pass rush. Uh, he did finish it. I do not think it is going to dramatically improve till better talent is on campus. Fair take. Very fair take. And I know that a lot of people... Are, I think that that could definitely be true. I think that you do need better talent for this defense to be running the way Alabama runs it. You know, and that that's not a huge surprise. I also think that Mel Tucker can bring the talent in. Um, going to take some time. I also think that having a year in the system under these guys' belts will be extremely valuable. And so even if a guy doesn't look great this year, you know, expect, you expect a jump from junior year to senior year, but it's going to be even bigger because now they aren't just trying to learn a system. They have more time to spend on, a in the weight room prehab i love i love the phrase prehab i just heard that it's like rehab but it's what you do before the game going in with the trainers stretching out making sure that you don't get hurt before you get hurt instead of recovering prehab gonna be using that a lot more on the podcast um camster says hey henry i love lavisca as much as anyone but do you know or could you look up what percentage of plays he's played over the last significant amount of games uh i could because we get those booklets um, maybe going back to USC last year. I don't know if I have access. I might be able to to find that somewhere. They might have that posted somewhere. I could probably reach out. But, um, I'll just keep reading the comment. I feel like his playing style is amazing. It reminds me a lot of a young Brandon Marshall, the way he fights for extra yards. 
oh, decent comp. I think uh, I, that is a decent comp. You know, it's easy to say like Brandon Marshall had LaVisca Chenault's ceiling is higher than what Brandon Marshall was. I think LaVisca Chenault could be one of the great NFL receivers. But at the same time, Brandon Marshall's ceiling was a lot higher than what he ended up being in the NFL because he had, uh, I can't remember. I, I don't like just saying like mental illness because that encapsulates a lot of things and there are differences. And maybe that's super bolder of me to say like, you should probably be a little more specific instead of just saying he is mentally ill saying like he has depression. He has anxiety. I can't remember what exactly Brandon Marshall was dealing with, but that definitely held him back uh, specifically during his time in Denver, but then going forward and he kind of became an advocate and has talked a lot about it and how it affected his career. Again, weird tangent. We love those though. Um, I like that comp is the final answer. I don't want people to feel like, oh, no, Brandon Marshall, like, LaVisca has Hall of Fame potential. Brandon Marshall had Hall of Fame potential, too, for a variety of reasons. He didn't reach that potential. Um, I like I like the path that that leads you on. I just think that LaVisca could keep carrying it forward a little bit farther than uh, further, farther. Uh, that's a tough one because, like, farther's for distance, further's for, like, carry the argument further but uh since it's like a metaphor okay but it doesn't matter um the the point is lavisca chenault i think could be he he could be better should be better as a stretch just because brandon marshall still very good receiver boy was that too much time talking about this um back to the comment but it is not only ultimately hurting the buffs, not having him on the field, but also has to be hurting his draft stock. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, heading into the season, I could have seen him going in the top 10 easily and maybe sneaking into the top five with a dominating season. But are these constant injuries knocking him out of the first round entirely? Um, the Here's the answer. The answer is we don't know. We really don't know. We don't know how... Uh, NFL GMs read into this. We don't know what exactly is going on with LaVisca Chenault. Is the injury related to the shoulder surgery? Um, is this totally unrelated? Is what exactly was the shoulder injury? We might know, but I actually... Like, what, what happened with the surgery? Did the surgery go well? Is this, like, the effect of a bad surgery? Is this something that's fixable? Is this something they'll plague him? Like, these are all things that when NFL teams do their own research on LaVisca, they will know all of these details. And those will also probably be leaked out to us, and we will know more about what's going on right now in six or seven months. Once we get that information, then we'll kind of know what to expect from him in terms of his draft stock. So if this is just totally unrelated, it's just a little thing that's bothered him the last few weeks, probably not. Um, the other thing is we don't really know what's going to happen with the last 75% of this season. Um, he could be averaging 200 yards a game for the net last uh, what, nine game or three and one, eight games going on. Uh, I got that percentage wrong. Uh, but but if he does that, then that would mean no. Then he's back in that top 10, maybe top five conversation. Is he sitting out a lot of games? You know, we just have to see it all play out. As of right now, more than anything, I just feel for the guy. Like, as I've said before, he's 
such a great person. I, I, t- I told the story on the podcast. You know, I was just up in Boulder with my little sisters here. She's 14, and we were just wandering around campus, went into the rec center, and LaVisca's playing basketball, and I went and introduced him. And LaVisca was super cool and super friendly and smiley. He he did what... he You could not have asked him to be any more... He handled that situation perfectly, is, is what it was, you know? And that's why seeing him go through this is tough because he is that kind of person. So hopefully for his sake, it does get better. We just don't know that it will at this point. Um, it's hurting his draft stock for sure. It's hurting the buffs for sure. Um, I'm actually going to pause this for a second and go grab my uh, snap count thing for the first few games. Like I said, I don't have snap counts for the Arizona State game, but we do have for the first three. So going to pause this it's going to feel like i'm not gone but i will be gone for a minute okay uh so that actually took uh an embarrassing amount of time and i couldn't find it um so i was able to get like all the defensive snap counts and all of like the special team snap counts and all that kind of stuff but i couldn't find um like the full season offensive snap counts and i'm sure it's because i just like i'm missing it I'm still flipping through here, but I will get that figured out. But I can tell you that against Air Force, LaVisca played 27 of 75 snaps, about a third of the offensive snaps. Um, I would guess, I mean, that feels about right for this season. Obviously, Arizona State would be even fewer. So, yeah, um, I'll see if I can get the full numbers, but I would guess that it is right about that one-third of the reps okay one more comment before we get out of here coming from sunny rain uh he says glad we got the win but as i said before the play calling is just off to me i'm sure this is a subjective thought i heard you say that you felt the plays were too conservative down the stretch and you felt they should have thrown the ball more I felt the opposite going down the stretch. My main issue is when it's crunch time, I'm watching CU pound the rock and moving down the field only to inexplicably get cute with some goofy screen and throw everything off schedule. This happened repeatedly in the fourth quarter. Just stick with what is working. CU is literally hurting their players with the run game. Ugh. Uh, As for the defense, oh, so before we get into the defense, I want to talk about that. I think where we're seeing the same thing is with the screens. You know, the the Arizona State was never able to just shut down, like, real passing when you run guys downfield, do the stuff that we were so excited to see this season, and finally saw it be extremely successful throughout the game yesterday. Um, the screens, I think we agree, are what is most frustrating. Like, honestly, if, if I had to pick, I would have said throw the ball more late because that was what was working really well. Um that would be option number one to me. Option number two would have been run the ball because, you, you. I mean, they weren't bad. They weren't bad running the ball. It definitely wasn't their best performance. Um, I'm pulling up the run numbers right now. I can't. I don't have anybody throw it to, so I just have to, like, narrate that. Yeah, three and a half yards per carry. 138 yards on 40 attempts. Solid. Uh, passing game, 11.2 yards per attempt. They were just unstoppable, and I wasn't worried about turnovers because Steven Montez was protecting the ball well. He was being protected. Um, yeah, 
So I would say throw the ball downfield more. Not like you don't have to throw bombs, but just do what you're doing. Throw it 10 yards. Throw it 5 yards. Throw it 15 yards. Just kind of bounce around there wherever it's open. Um, number two, I would say run the football because you're having some success. The final option is do the stuff that got them beat last season, throwing those little screens, all the cute stuff like you called it. I agree. Um, that's what I don't like. Uh he goes on to say, as for the defense, it is what it is. I don't know that much is going to change until coach can get better talent. That's a theme we're hearing. That's a theme that I agree with. Uh, Nate Lamon looks very ordinary this season. Yeah, uh, it's frustrating. Um, and I'm sure it's even more frustrating for him. And again, another great guy who, I mean, I mean with LaVisca, it's easy to say, you know, bad things are happening to him and he doesn't deserve that. I would say the same about Nate Landman. Like, he just isn't quite gelling with this new defensive scheme. Just like a lot of guys on this defense, they just don't feel totally comfortable in their roles. They're, they're being asked to do new things, and they're not consistently finding success doing those new things. It's obvious with Nate because we are so used to expecting, or to, yeah, just expecting him to be a star in the middle of the defense. Not the literal star position, but like a star. And he just hasn't quite been that guy. But there are a bunch of other people who are being asked to do things. I mean, Chris Miller, he's starting cornerback now. And to be honest, he hasn't looked great. He's gotten burned deep a couple times. He hasn't he, he hasn't been a great guy. But we haven't seen him perform at that high level. So we aren't, we aren't as surprised, as disappointed with Nate seeing him be, like you said, ordinary. He's an ordinary linebacker. That's disappointing because we know that he has more in him and it's just figuring out how to use his strengths in this scheme. Um, again, feel for the guy because as frustrating as it is for us, I can guarantee you it is even more frustrating for him. Um, guys like Van Deest and Wells are simply too slow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're being asked to do different things. I mean, is John Van Deest slower than Rick Gamboa? Probably not. And Rick Gamboa was a solid starter for a while in Boulder because he was being asked to do things that really play to his strengths. You know, he if if John Van Deese was in the Rick Gamboa role, no problem. I mean, he's a run stopper. He's his job is to not give up good plays. His job is to play whatever hole he's supposed to be playing. Rick Gamboa had great football senses. He was a strong tackler. All these things that traditionally linebackers need more than they need sideline to sideline speed. That's why Rick Gamboa was a starter for a while for the Buffs. John Van Deest could play that role. Definitely, no doubt. But asking him, just like Nate, to be dropping in coverage, to be more of that sideline to sideline guy, it's a challenge for him. You have to remember he's young. There's time for him to, to develop uh, that type of speed. I mean, it's... It's tough to do. Like it's it's a lot of very specific training to get faster. But now he knows. I mean, Nate Landman is kind of being forced into this late. Um, he's being asked to do something different. He's being asked to be a less of the run stopping linebacker that he was kind of built up to be. That's that's what his role was in the last scheme to be like that Rick Gamboa. And so he's kind of built himself to be that guy. Now he's being asked to do something different, and he hadn't hadn't had years to become somebody who knew how to be that guy. You know, he he didn't spend his redshirt year trying to be a sideline to sideline cover linebacker. 
Obviously, John Van Deest also thrown in the fire, but he's going to have a little more time so that late in his career, you might see him fit better in this scheme. Um, but yeah, they're lacking some speed on the defense, particularly at linebacker. And that's something, I mean, I'm not sure that we've harped on the speed. And now we kind of have the turn and run ability, the coverage ability. That's not what those guys were recruited here to do. And now they're being forced to learn and they're being exposed while they're learning. Um, I agree. It's going to take more talent, more talent that's fitted to this scheme more than anything um, before the scheme really jumps off the page to you, you know, when you're looking at these stats. That said, you know, the defense hasn't been bad. They just give up too many big plays. Uh, oh, oh no, that was the end of the comment. Um, linebackers, yeah, that's probably one group you need to step up. Uh, pass rush needs to step up. Uh, you'd like to see more lockdown ability out of the corners instead of, I mean, instead of tackles, instead of being with the guy. You know, it's, you need more out of the defense. That's what it comes down to. And you need the offense to continue what it showed last week. This was the coming out party for the offense. Just haven't seen that yet for the defense. And I think that that's something that could definitely happen here in the next couple weeks. Hopefully the bye week is what sparks that. Hopefully Mel Tucker sees keeping things going with the linebackers. Hopefully he sees, hey, Nate, here's a spot where you could sit inside a little more. Here's where you could take another step back. Feel free to play a little more loose. I don't know what the problems are, um, even though I probably should. I think I might go through that. That's what I'm going to be looking for. Uh, offense, I'm going to be looking for. I'm rewatching the game later. Um, I'm going to look for... The offensive line, I think that's what I'm going to be keying in on in my rewatch just because they played better. I want to see what that looks like. Was there still somebody getting beat? Were they helping somebody out? Were they double teaming one side because somebody needed You know, that kind of stuff. What works so well for the offensive line? Um, and then defensively, I'm going to be keying on the linebackers because, like I said earlier, it just kind of felt like there was a hole in the middle of that defense and were they just blitzing out of there? Were they expanding too wide? Were they sitting too close? I mean, I just want to go back, watch that, because I think that that's where things start. If the linebackers can step up or the pass rush steps up, that's the other thing that I think could really push them to the next level. Um, then everything else I think could start to fill in a little bit better because it's so easy to look at this defense and say, oh, wow, there's open receivers in the middle. There's open receivers downfield. There's open receivers on the sideline everywhere. Um, because there were, but part of the reason for that is that there's probably somebody covering for somebody else, somebody who see, I mean, if the problem starts at the middle of the field, maybe the safeties are taking an extra step up because they know that they're being picked apart in the middle of the field. That's what leaves something open deep. Maybe it's starting deep. Maybe the linebackers are dropping too deep and they aren't. This isn't what it is, but, uh, then the linebackers kind of save back to help. So that the safety doesn't feel like he needs to cover from 20 yards downfield to the end zone. He needs to cover from 25 yards and that helps out a little bit. You know, once you solve one of these problems, once you identify which, which patch of the field is being exploited first, um, and who's kind of covering for him, then you can start figuring out how to build around that. Hopefully. I mean, that's my take on the situation. Maybe that isn't the problem, but, um, it's what I'm looking for. It's what I'm looking for when I go back and watch. And it's one of the reasons I don't think this defense is all that far away. 
because you fix that, everybody else doesn't have to help out there. They can just focus on their own jobs. And that's how a defense is supposed to work. And you heard it in New England, just do your job. And this, like we've said so many times, this defense is a remnant, maybe not even a remnant, a descendant of uh, that Patriots defense, the Alabama defense, the Georgia defense. Obviously, that's where it came from. You know, it's that coaching tree. It's that philosophy. Even if, you know, the plays are different, it's built off that same, if everybody does their job in this scheme, then we'll be fine. Now it's teaching them all the complex parts of this scheme that make it so hard for everybody just to do their job. Um, I think you'd hope that they have the complex parts of it understood. Um, and now it's time to move on to, okay, everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. Why aren't they doing that? Um, why aren't you catching this read that means you're supposed to be going over here? You know, all this kind of stuff. Um, rambling. Definitely rambling, like we love to do at the end of this podcast. I'm a pro at rambling tangents, and uh, we're going long today. So if you want to hear my voice more, congrats, you did. Um, that is actually it for today. Uh, keep the comments coming. Tell me what you think. I mean, we are not all going to agree on what is wrong with this football team. Okay, th this is ending in a dark place. Let's get back to the hype. They're 3-1 and one going into the bye week. They have Arizona coming up. That's going to be 4-1. They received votes. Sure, they dropped down to 37th. You beat Arizona. Who knows who's losing this week in the bye week? All of a sudden, there's a path to this top 25 spot. Is that what they're playing for? No. But it's a step in that right direction, and then you get to get into Pac-12 play with a little number by your name. Make those teams scare you. Make people respect you. Sure, this isn't the year that the Buffs are going to the college football playoff. That's fine. Totally fine. That's what they're building for for the future. But you don't get there just by being really good one year. That That is so difficult to do. You saw it, you saw it with the rise. When you get down the stretch trying to continue that, it would be so hard for that team to have made the college football playoff because they were kind of just out of the blue. You want to build something sustainable. You want to instill a culture so that you have a quarterback. That's Cepho Lufau who embodies the coach. He's another coach. Phil Lindsay is another coach. You have all these guys who are essentially, I mean, that defense, a couple guys back there, but that defense or these players who just embody everything the coach wants you to be. It starts with recruiting. It means that you're developing them. You're taking them when they're 18 so that when they're 21, 22, they are the right kind of person that you can trust to be doing their job, to be studying, to be in the film room every night, to not be showing up thinking, how am I going to boost my stats? Not be thinking about what can I do so I can get the flash plays. It's teaching them to block, teaching these receivers to block like we've seen so much from this group. Like you can see this culture shift happening and that's exciting. And it's leading to wins. They're three and one. They have Arizona coming up. They're, they should win this game in Boulder, which is exciting. Uh, and if they do, that just means that they're going to keep getting more recognition. Finish this season with six wins, seven wins, eight wins. Who knows? But that's a step in the right direction, and that's how this program keeps moving. They are on pace. They're doing what you need them to do. Are there flaws? Of course. There's a reason this isn't a college football playoff team. They let receivers run free. They don't have the pass rush you need. The offense is inconsistent. You're building. You're figuring out who works and who doesn't work. You're recruiting for those positions. You're figuring out who your leaders are so that you can name captains next season. This is all by design. Was 3-1 and one by design? Honestly, it might have been. Maybe Mel Tucker would never 
I don't think Mel Tucker would have ever said we want to be 4-0, we want to be 3-1, and we want to be 2-2 and through these first four games. But I bet somewhere in his mind, he thought, you know, 3-1 and at this point, pretty good, especially with the conference win. Um, they're where they need to be. It's It'd be a problem if they were 2-2. Two and two. Maybe not a problem, but you'd be saying, ah, they probably could have done more. 3-1 and one is solid. Is it great? Is it perfect? Meh. No, probably not. But... That's the takeaway. That's the takeaway from that Arizona State team is that they do have this in them right now. They can beat an Arizona State team that's ranked. Probably shouldn't be. I mean, but what though? What does that mean? They're probably the 30th best team in the country and you can go in there and beat them on the road. That's a good spot for this Buffs football team to be in, what, nine months into Mel Tucker's tenure? Just keep building. Keep pulling in wins. Keep winning the right way. Keep fixing these problems and next year, maybe we're talking Pac-12 title. Maybe not. Maybe that's not in the conversation next year. Maybe that just means a better bowl game. Maybe we're not playing for the Cheez-It Bowl. Uh, two years from now, three years from now, four years from now, just got to keep building like this, and all of a sudden Colorado will be back to where it needs to be. Things are good. Even if there are problems that still need to be fixed, that's true of every football team in the country right now. Things are good, and enjoy that. And uh, I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Thanks for riding with me. Bye, guys. And see you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we stationed, patiently awaiting. Oh. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging as the crowd do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hey. Hey. You on your own now, why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Yeah. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it.